Welcome to another Culture Gym podcast with your hosts Carly Richards and Gareth Shackleton, talking to each other and guests about good mental health, peak performance and employee engagement through your culture. Let's work out. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Culture Gym podcast. Uh, my name is Gareth Shackleton and I'm here with my co-host Carly Richards. Hi Carly, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Looking forward to going down the rabbit hole again. Oh, yeah. We discovered <laughs> last time that we had more questions than answers, I think, last week, didn't we? We did. And, uh, well, hopefully that's a good thing and it's something to keep listeners engaged. It's, it's mm. always good to pose the questions and get people to, uh, to come up with their own answers, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. So how's your week been? What's been now uh, stood out this week for you? Um, it's been lovely, actually. I took some time off because it's the first week of school holidays here in England. Um, and so I say here in England because I'm, I live about a mile away from the Scottish border and they've been on holiday for a wee while. So, right. um, so yeah, we have, we've had a lovely time. We've been at the beach a lot um, to get some nice fresh air. And then, but I have been working on so I've not been working with clients and I've not been work working, but I have been working on a piece of research that I'm about to do, um, which is a, to do with the coronavirus lockdown and parents working from home. Mm. So I'm going to be interviewing lots and lots of parents about their experiences and collating the experiences of parents juggling working from home with homeschooling, various other things that they have to juggle. Um, and hoping to, um, I'll be using thematic analysis to analyse it. So I'm hoping to come up with lots of different themes, common themes in the data and um, create some sort of solutions towards the future of work. Obviously, the, the future of work is probably going to be very different, certainly in the short mm. to medium term, but also in the long term. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what people have found has worked for them in, in terms of working from home, what they want to see in terms of the future of work and, and do they want more um, flexibility in their working. Uh, does that very much depend on who they are, what their personality type is, mm -hmm. um, what, what they've got going on at home, what, what their working environment is like. So I'm really looking forward to getting my uh, teeth stuck into that and it'll be a really interesting piece of research once it's finished. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's so important at the moment as well with uh, this enforced change that's been put on employers and employees and, uh, and the opportunity that that's created for uh, catalyzing a change to, to more flexible working. I think it's exactly. a really exciting uh, future. Yeah, employment and, and what that's going to look like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Could be the time for introverts to shine. Indeed, yeah. And, Working um, at home. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lots of interesting concepts that may emerge, lots and lots. So, yeah, really interesting stuff. Although yeah. other people might think, yeah, it's a little bit boring, but I find it quite interesting. <laughs> well, <laughs> and from a cultural point of view, I mean, the, terms of how that impacts on culture that's it's huge mm. and how has it impacted on culture which mm. is also an interesting question this lockdown how has it impacted organizational culture mm. um in terms of the, the team 
was once in the office, perhaps, and right. now they probably haven't seen each other or hadn't seen each other for months. Yeah. And the, the attention you have to pay to culture then in order to keep those bonds, you know, that glue that holds people together mm -hmm. uh, to make that tight, it's, uh, it needs a whole different perspective on, on yeah. actually working with your culture to, to keep everybody together and working well together working effectively together when you're half the, you know, the team's remotely separated. It's a, it's a fascinating yeah. dynamic that's emerging for businesses as they start to take this on. So uh, yeah, it is. watch this space. Uh, yeah. Very Look good. Look to seeing the research. Mm. If it's, it's not, although I did restart my computer this morning and it looks like I may have lost the stuff that I've been working on this week, which, I have a Mac, so that shouldn't be the case, but it does look like it is the case. <laughs> so I'm slightly panicked. I'll have to check it after this and update you next week. If you're a bit distracted this morning, it's because you've <laughs> yes. figured out how to get your research back. Yeah, it's because I'm panicking. Yeah, mm. okay. But okay. it'll be fine. We'll work what about it. you? What about your week? How's it been? Um, well, I've been working with, with clients this week. Um, with their, uh, businesses and challenges and opportunities. Uh, one thing that came up this week and you know, a bit of a win for the client, and I, I think it's a win for me because it's very much about my philosophy working with clients, was around empowerment. I was working with a client um, building company and you know, a challenge about getting things to work well on site when you know, the leaders, leadership's not around to, to direct things. And, um, so some simple tool, tools in terms of helping the, the team to see, have more visibility about the work, you know, what's coming and what, what the priorities are. Uh, so, you know, some of these tools are very simple, very well known, things like Kanban boards, um, so that you can see what the scope of work is and, and everybody can see what the scope of work is. And then they get to choose you know what they're going to do so they're empowered to choose from the scope what they're going to do next with some input of course from the leadership and then they can just get on with it because they can mm -hmm. see what what needs to be done the psychological impact of that on um on on the site workers in terms of because they've been empowered to choose what they can do has been huge and the, the feedback from from my client this week was it's transformed the way people are working on site. Wow. Uh, a very simple tool um, has just transformed the way they're working on site, transformed the psychology through this empowerment. And uh, it's been remarkable. So, That's uh, excellent. Big win for the client and uh, a huge win for the, uh, the, the case for empowerment. Yeah. You know, it doesn't need its case made for it. It's, uh, no, definitely not. I mean, we would also call that job crafting. Indeed. There's a huge amount of research to support job crafting as well, to where you allow within certain parameters employees to craft their own working day or working week. Yeah. And you allow them to craft their certain parts of their job. Um, it's, yeah, really important, really empowering, really, really powerful stuff. And these are not new tools. I mean, the idea of Kanban boards about uh, 
Six Sigma and, and lean manufacturing processes and, and Scrum project management. You know, these are um, well-known tools. But I think we underestimate the psychological impact of, of implementing some of these tools. But also implementing them takes a leap of faith sometimes on the um, from from the leader, you know, mm -hmm. from the business owner in this case. And uh, you know that leap of faith in terms of implementing. I was so proud of my you know, client for doing that, taking that on because of that leap of faith that they were taking, and the letting go of control. You know, that, that's a big thing for entrepreneurs and, and business owners to yeah. give up some of that control and to pass it over to, to their team. But the result, you know, and seeing that result so quickly has, has been uh, great feedback for them, uh, which has helped them to, to implement it and take it forward. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and I bet they'd love to hear that you, you've said on the podcast how proud you are of them. Well, I hope so. They, confidentiality uh, in intact of course so, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it is it's, it's amazing when you 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 know that you've suggested something to a client they've taken it on board and they've not only just taken it on board but they've kind of ran with it and mm. um it, it it's really it's a lovely boost as a coach and consultant and to know that you are helping that you that you your advice is working and they really appreciate that yeah, it's That's very a, powerful. You know, the, the easy things coming up with a suggestion, the hard thing is implementing it, and you know they've mm. done the hard work, and that's that's exactly. Yeah, I find a lot of the time actually that clients underestimate the work that they put in because you've suggested mm. it, um, they and and then they go ahead and they like you've said literally do all of the hard work, yet they seem to appreciate your suggestion more than their hard mm. work. Yeah, no, that's right. A lot of the time. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? When, whereas actually it's all on them. Exactly. Yeah. They've, they've implemented it. They've adapted it to their needs. They put the hard work in. They've had the difficult conversations as well, because this mm. was a change not just for them, but for their team. So, you know, that's a conversation that has to be had and an explanation to be made and so a real understanding that they have to gain in that process and in what's going on there with that tool uh, in order to be able to explain it to the team so yeah it's it's, um, it's a far bigger thing than they appreciate often I think as you've said mm -hmm. yeah oh good you've had a great week good week good win for for a client and that's always a good win for me in my exactly my opinion. exactly that's what it's all about yeah so um today we're going to talk about psychological capital indeed so this is well in your uh, in your field so i'm going to hand that conversation over to you and uh, contribute with maybe a few questions of uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i think today is probably best to give a general overview i mean last week we talked about should we talk about this should we talk about something else but we felt it was really important to um kind of follow on from last week with this concept so we're going to talk a little bit about general what what we mean generally by psychological capital perhaps another week we could go into the specifics of each area because each area has its own pot of research and its own um descriptions and kind of usefulness i suppose um 
but so psychological capital what we mean essentially is in the same way that organizations talk about human capital where you know the people are their strength and and i suppose by capital we mean um the the power would that be a good way to describe it do you think am i too immersed in in what it is to be able to explain <laughs> the term capital um the strength the power the 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 force if you like and that can be good and bad i think yeah i, I guess coming at it from a business point of view I, I think of capital as being an asset that's an that's asset a much better way to describe and, and it gain something from yeah yes that is a much better way to describe it gareth thank you you're welcome um, <laughs> so yeah so human assets essentially human capital so the psychological capital I, you can consider it on more of an individual level but also um it could be more of a collective thing so it's essentially you've probably gathered um our inner strength our inner assets what we have going on inside how we work inside emotionally and kind of mentally um and it was the concept was kind of put together by a guy called fred luthens which you um discussed last week you mentioned that last week and he came up with four components of psychological capital, which are hope or hopefulness, yep. um, efficacy. So it's spelled, you can remember it because it spells out hero. Yep. Efficacy, and what we mean by efficacy is basically self-efficacy, our kind of view of ourself. So what does the word efficacy mean? Well, or self-efficacy. Like, yeah, aside from giving you the Oxford Dictionary definition, um, essentially it just, so it's slightly different from self-esteem. It's more about our belief in, um, our belief in our, ourselves, in our ability to do something, achieve something. Um, yeah, so... It's, kind so it's a combination of self-belief, self-esteem. I, I think of efficacy as being effectiveness, or in a way. Yeah. So, our so our things. Yeah. So, what we, how we perceive our ability to do things, would be a really okay. good way to describe it. Right. Okay. Um, I wasn't prepared for that question. Can no, you it, it's an interesting question because efficacy <laughs> is words which I guess we all instinctively have an appreciation of what it means but mm. understanding what it means particularly in a psychological sense is, is perhaps different yeah right. to break that down you just talk about i think especially for me i just talk about it all the time and assume that everybody knows what it means but actually it's important no you, you were right to ask that question it's important to break it down and to explain it properly good i'll keep on asking yeah. these questions <laughs> yeah keep on putting me on the spot that's fine <laughs> not that this has been recorded live or anything that's right yeah. <laughs> um, Real. yeah so hope hopefulness yeah um effic efficacy resilience and i think in general we all know what resilience means basically it means our ability to bounce back from troublesome times from difficulties from yeah um and then our optimism so are we essentially an easy way to explain it would be glass half full 
Hmm. I don't think it's as simple and straightforward as glass half full or glass half empty. Um, because I think it's a sliding scale that we're all on and it changes from situation to situation, from day to day. But in general, we will have an approach in terms of how optimistic we are okay. and how optimistic we, we are in terms of our reaction to things. And how, how does hope differ from optimism? So this, when I first came across psychological capital, that was my very first question. Okay. So hopefulness generally means, so whilst opti optimism is um, how, how positive we see a situation, I guess, hopefulness is probably more about um, How would we describe this? Hopefulness is probably more about where we're going in life, um, how we see how we see ourselves, um, the the belief that you can find pathways to achieve certain goals and and setting setting those goals and achieving those goals you know rather than um how positive we feel about situations they are very very closely linked but fred luthens is quite um he's quite clear in the dif differences between the both them both okay um it's more about i suppose willpower essentially i think basically he's this is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. He's probably just tried to find a word that fits quite nicely into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's a nice word, isn't it, hero? It, it, it does fit. Yeah. It's, um, and it's a nice way of remembering, you know, some characteristics. It's a nice word to remember. Yeah. So characteristics, yeah. It's more about our motivation. Um, Whereas optimism would be more about how we how we see yeah how we see the world. I guess one element of hope is it's about how likely our hope. I can't say it in, in a different word. Where I have to use that word. It's our hope <laughs> that in. It's the belief that we have that things can change for the better. Now that sounds a little bit like optimism. But yeah. actually, you know, things can be quite bad right now, but we have hope that things can change. Mm. Mm -hmm. Whereas optimism maybe is is about more in the here and now. Yeah, it's about where our focus lies. So for example, so we talk about a kind of external locus of control. Mm. Um In general, and this, like I've said, this can vary, and a lot of it can vary depending on um, how we're feeling. So, for example, right now, with coming sort of coming out the other end of a lockdown and a major world crisis, um, perhaps people's external locus of control is, you know, we are we internalizing the positive events and kind of taken on board all of the positive things about lockdown 
or are we are we still in that whole this was really really awful mm. and everyone will process it differently and there's not necessarily a right or a wrong way yeah but what we do know is the higher these levels of you know hope self-efficacy resilience and optimism and the higher your overall psychological capital score um the more likely you are to succeed in work in parenting in lots of different areas now last week we spoke about what does success mean how do we even define success um but in general you will be happier you will um the, the science is there to prove that the higher your psychological capital the the further you get in work the further you get in life the, the happier you are so it is really important um, and what we also know, interestingly, about psychological capital is that all of these things, so hopefulness in terms of our kind of motivation for life, um, efficacy, resilience and optimism, whilst they all have their own research and they're all really important individual concepts, collectively, the psychological capital makes a much stronger concept and a much better predictor of all of the things that i've just mentioned agree so they're stronger together yeah i i guess these are interesting concepts from a very practical point of view can you in, increase your psychological capital can you increase your optimism resilience efficacy and hope um yeah. and what are some of the tools and techniques that we might used to do that absolutely so um i developed a training program on exactly that on developing uh, psychological capital and one of the key things which you actually do a lot of as well gareth mm -hmm. is um goal setting mm. now fred luthens has a lot of research to suggest that he some of his um training suggestions can be done very simply, very straightforward. Um, they can go into an awful lot of depth as well, and it's very much dependent on the trainer themselves. So you need a fair bit of experience. Um, in Rather than actually the activities being the most important thing, a lot of the, the training, the importance is to do with the trainer. So um, goal setting very important in psychological capital training and it's mm -hmm. about how you set your goals so um so so in a training session for example we would encourage clients to set some goals um we would encourage them to map out a timeline so we're developing uh the the motivation for the goal by discussing its importance. Why is it important? What does it mean to you? Why is, why yeah. is it really key that you achieve this? What would happen if you don't achieve this? Kind of classic coaching stuff, really. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to developing that efficacy. So we'll create a pathway of achievement. You know, what will it look like once we've achieved this? How do we know that we're gonna be achieving this? Um, what are the milestones along the pathway? So, and, and we're developing some visualization techniques as well, right? So the client can then see themselves achieving this goal 
building on that all of the time. Yeah. Um, and then we're, we're talking about resilience as well. So we're thinking about, right, okay, this, what are the obstacles that could come up? And how are we going to tackle those obstacles? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, so that's adding a bit of resilience in there as well. And then in terms of optimism, we're, we're thinking about um, where are you at with this goal? Like how, how well do you see yourself? achieving this goal how optimistic are you about achieving this goal so whilst all of that training is very much focused on goal setting and you would think well anyone can do that it's very true anyone can do that but what you're actually doing with clients um is developing that ability to improve their psychological capital because they'll they'll learn all the skills that they need to know in that one training session, mm -hmm. which they can then go and apply to various different aspects of their life. And all the while throughout the training session, you're encouraging them to do that through through subtle um, training techniques and things. So it's it's actually not too difficult to to develop. And everyone can develop their psychological capital. It's not necessarily a fix. It's not like a personality assessment where you, you would assume that this would generally be kind of fixed for life mm -hmm. um, with a little bit of wiggle room. But yeah, psychological capital is flexible and it's something that can be improved and can adapt. I think it's interesting it's to have that. Um perspective of the psychological capital when you're goal setting because it changes the way you approach the goal setting mm. and what those goals would be and how you uh, do that you know that if you get the goal setting wrong you can actually decrease someone's psychological capital it, it can become demotivating people can lose optimism uh, and hope exactly. you know, if you set a goal too high for example and then they start to fail you know, depending on where they're at already in their with their psychological capital scale that can have a negative impact on them so the skill there is in helping them to judge where their goal level should be and there's lots of goal setting techniques out there you know smart goals for example or stretch goals or courageous goals um and i think coming at it with a perspective of psychological capital changes the way that you approach you know which goals you know which type of goals there if you use those three as a, um, a benchmark you would you would start looking at you know depending on where that person is already you know where they're starting from mm. with okay. their psychological capital and when we're goal setting typically we wouldn't think about psychological capital in that context around the goal setting but so it changes you know how you approach the goal setting uh, so it's a really important concept. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. And I think it definitely, as, as a trainer, it increases awareness mm. of the impact that if you get this wrong, as a trainer, you can, you could end up, so if we measure psychological capital before we do the training, mm. and then we measure, measure it immediately afterwards, and then we assess the, the training transfer you know, six, six weeks, six months down the line, and we assess their psychological capital score, then yep. um, 
if you if you were as you say to get this wrong it can be incredibly damaging and you can reduce their psychological capital score so it's not necessarily something that you should play around with and perhaps i made it sound awfully simple but it's it's yeah it's you have to be very very careful because people particularly if they've got some sort of you know self-esteem issue going on or if they've got quite a low psychological capital score mm-hmm. initially if you if you get something wrong if they somehow you're working with them and they see something negative or they they get fixated on something that might go wrong um and you know that they've got a low resilience score at that particular time mm-hmm. um it's it's really it becomes then a huge challenge for the trainer and for the individual to work together to increase their score yeah. I know that when I've done some coaching, I've been, whilst at the time, perhaps because this was years ago, I wasn't acutely aware of psychological capital. I know that there have been instances where I've been working with clients on goals and I recognized that actually this was doing more harm than good mm-hmm. because they just weren't in a place to be able to work on this deal with this they, they were setting their goals far too high um, and you you have to as a coach or a consultant you have to be the one to say this is perhaps not the right route to go down um, and I think you have to do the same as a trainer and you know it doesn't even necessarily in order to increase psychological capital it doesn't necessarily need to be specifically goals mm. it could be a discussion around um so let's think about your future let's think about what it is that you'd like to achieve and i think just bringing that awareness to them and having faith in a client or a or or anyone that you're talking to about this particular concept knowing that someone else has faith in you can mm-hmm. be a hugely powerful thing anyway that can increase psychological capital change your psychological capital absolutely uh, you know i think you would talk about this from the coach or consultant point of view but goal setting is a fundamental part of business and, and management and leadership and so yeah. everybody in a business that has any kind of leadership or management role has is probably involved in setting goals with their team members and and therefore it's useful to understand the concept of psychological capital and the impact that psychological capital has on goal setting but also vice versa that goal setting their employees psychological capital and and where they're at psychologically at any given time so really exactly yeah and i think you know we were talking about empowerment before and I think it's re- it becomes important then from a leadership perspective that if you're enforcing goals, this is what we've got to achieve, this is our target, this is where we're headed, and you enforce that onto a team who have maybe one or two, or God forbid, all of them with a particularly low psychological capital score, first of all, they're not going to believe in themselves to be able to achieve that, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Second of all, if they, if they don't continue to get, you know, reach the milestones that you've set for them then they're going to see themselves as a failure and then the whole thing Mm -hmm. just creates this this 
horrible situation that they'll then take on to the next target and the next target and the next target. And I think it just becomes, it's, like you say, it's so important for leaders and managers to understand this as well, because then it just, if it's done wrongly, it can be so damaging. Yeah, so and, think, and we see that, don't we, in businesses, you know, disengagement. Um, I think engagement's gone up in, in the most recent uh, national and international ratings of, of uh, employee engagement, perhaps due to the fact of flexible working and be able to work from home and uh, <laughs> have mm. fewer negative influences uh, from the workplace. Um, but typically speaking, employee engagement is very low. You know, 8% of the, the, the last stats I looked at in any detail, 8% of employees are highly engaged in their work. 26% are highly disengaged and the rest are, you know, treading water, really. They, they're doing what they have to do uh, to get by and effectively they're disengaged. And, and I think that's, uh, there's an element here of not understanding people's psychological capital and the goal setting approaches and um, being supportive. And as as employees, we have to take on some responsibility for being engaged. But as employers, as leaders and managers, we have to recognize that if our employees are disengaged, it's, it's down to us. Yeah. What have we done to disengage them? Is that in the culture that we have? Is that in the, um, the goal setting that we do? Is it in the support and encouragement that we do or don't give to, to our employees around their goals and their and supporting their psychological capital. So, um, yeah, interesting. The question's come up for me this week, uh, which I'm going to bring into this discussion on psychological capital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's around nature and nurture. It's uh, a question that's often asked around a leader's made or born. You know, and, and you know, you break that down a bit. So is, is leadership something that you're born with? Is it in your genes? Or is it something that develops over time with the role models, with your parenting, with uh, leadership training and, uh, and all of that? So yeah. my question here becomes, is psychological capital something that you're born with? We've talked about the fact that you can develop it. So there's clearly a, a nurturing aspect there. But how much of psychological capital is something that's already fixed in you when you're born? You know, it's, it's genetic. I think it's a really good question. Now, I, when you suggested that this might be the question for this week, mm. uh, I said my reaction was, well, you know what my answer is going to be, Gareth. It's a bit yeah. of both. Um, and I, I firmly believe that all of these concepts are a bit of both. I don't think you can necessarily say that person is a born leader. Mm -hmm. or that person was born with a really high level of psychological capital. Because this, you know, until we can tell whether they, someone might not go into a leadership role until they're, I don't know, adulthood, mid-20s, mid-30s, whatever. So they've got years and years of life experiences mm. and, and, you know, things that have gone well and things that haven't gone well and challenges and things that they've had to face to, in order to develop their leadership skills or their psychological capital skills. I think certainly genetics um, 
plays a plays a part and nature plays a part but i also think that the environment that we're in the experiences that we've had um the challenges that we've faced all of these things develop who we are and what's going on mm. for example at the minute like i mentioned perhaps leaders aren't certain leaders aren't doing so well because of the challenges that they're faced with at the minute and because they haven't quite come out the other end of those challenges to to ref, be able to reflect and say actually i did a good job um perhaps they're struggling because their business isn't doing so well at the minute perhaps people's psychological capital is also lower in general mm. than it would normally be because of what's going on so um i think it's a it's a bit of everything yeah i certainly agree i think you know you, we can't make that it's a false dichotomy to say a, a leader's born or made or you know is it nature or nurture it's both they, they interact there's a interaction between genetics and nature and they there's, there's feedback loops in there you know we now know that our genes can be affected by the environment there are epigenetic mechanisms which change the structure of our genes uh, through the influences of the environment on, our, on us. So, um, mm. you know, clearly at a molecular level, there are ways in which the environment impacts upon our genes. And so it's nature and nurture interacting together. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but it's just interesting there because we think about personalities you've said being fixed. Yeah. Some wiggle room. Um, so you would you can see that that would have a strong genetic component it, you know you don't have to understand genetics and molecular biology to to get that concept that there's a strong connected uh, genetic component to personality but with the psychological capital as you've described it it's a more fluid thing mm. and then it's harder to see that there might be a genetic component to that or at least there's a very fluid genetic component it's something that be, can be switched on or switched off um, mm -hmm. genetically perhaps yeah um, certainly with with personality we advise we always advise against um assessing children mm. certainly not before the age of sort of 12 i would say it might be an interesting thing to do for a, like for my kids for example they're eight and nine it might be interesting but be quite challenging i think to be able to say right this is exactly what your personality is going to be as an adult mm. um, i'm sure there's studies out there that have been done with personality assessment and children but i think certainly it would be a challenge to say this is if your fixed personality before the age of 12 at least mm -hmm. i think um, and depend that would very much depend on their maturity level and things as well so when we say it's fixed i definitely agree that there is an awful lot of genetic influence in that i can see my kids very much like me and very much like their dad and we say that don't we but um but i think how it's interesting to see okay so how much is that is is because they've witnessed my behavior right. and i'm i'm you know mirroring certain things and projecting certain things onto them That's right. and how much of that is in fact genetics there are studies out there i don't know the the answer off the top of my head without looking into it but there are studies out there i'm sure that that test some of this so i think probably the same applies 
core concepts like psychological capital and leaders and um, although we know that due to neuroplasticity that we discussed last week we know that certain things like psychological capital are flexible and can be improved yeah. and actually personality has an awful lot to do with um, our psychological capital makeup mm -hmm. so yeah and is linked very uh, very much with with leadership as well to to bring it back mm. to to leadership so uh, mm. personality traits predict leadership success leadership role occupancy you know that kind of thing too so um, yeah interesting mm. um, you know we talk about neuroplasticity we talked about cultural plasticity last week as well but you know we need to remember there is genetic plasticity when our genes are not fixed they can this the, the function and structure of our genes can be changed by the environment so um, they're not as fixed as we you know often think them to be uh, so is that it, another interesting topic well perhaps but, but maybe it's more interesting from from this podcast to discuss you know a bit more get into more detail at some point the the nature and nurture debate of you know, exactly how much there is in our genes the leadership and even job satisfaction, you know, there, there's research, which we, we haven't got time to talk about today, but research which shows that job satisfaction is linked to genetics to some extent. Um, you know, job demand, job control, we talk about stress research where we talk about demand and control uh, in predictors of job stress. The amount of demand and control that people have in their jobs has a genetic component which is really interesting. How can that be? And it's probably down to some selection. You select jobs which have a, a level of demand and control that you're comfortable with. Um, yeah, there's, there's a very interesting concept called um, job person fit. And that's mm -hmm. basically all to do with that. Obviously, I didn't research it on a, a kind of molecular genetical, mm -hmm. no, genetical isn't even a word, is it? Genetic. <laughs> um, <laughs> level but that there is an awful lot of research out there to say that if we select a job that don't basically doesn't match our characteristics and our values mm -hmm. and we are forced every day to be put in a position that makes us feel uncomfortable that isn't who we are that we're having to act in a certain ways so for example if you're really not extroverted at all and you hate selling things to people yet you choose a sales job that involves you being face to face with people and having to sell to them or yeah. even on the phone selling to them all the time yeah. it can in fact make you miserable completely yeah. reduce your job satisfaction completely increase your levels of stress um, and it can cause burnout and it's a really really interesting concept so there's something else we could discuss sometimes there's a clear genetic um, basis to to that as well so it's something that we have to you know square pegs and round holes as my grandma used to say yeah. exactly find yeah. the right hole for you so to speak yeah so, uh -huh. uh, yeah good well i think that's all we've got time for unfortunately carly it's it kind of putting the conversation off mid-flow but that's what this that's what we have to do yeah yeah we don't want to take up people's days completely so that's right yeah good well fantastic interesting conversation uh, different concept and um, hopefully it's been useful as useful for our listeners as it has been for me yeah good oh good i hope so too and if anyone has any questions feel free to um email 
Culture Gym, at, which is hello at culturegym.co.uk. That's it. Yeah, well done. I got it right two weeks in a row. <laughs> um, or if you have any kind of specific psychological capital questions for me, you can email me at carly at carlyrichards.com or you can just post it on the comments section as well. And yep. uh, we'll get back to you. And if you have any general questions for the podcast, do the same. Please get in touch. Um, any feedback would be welcome as well. So, yeah, hope you've all enjoyed. Good. Uh, have a great week, everybody, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Culture Gym Podcast. Thanks for working out with us. Till next time, work happy. Mm-hmm.